Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Tentative, curious, uncertain, alive, she followed him into the woods, moving in the direction where perhaps she imagined the rest of her life waited. So ready for something to happen. The old secret cottage had fallen to the ground. He acted as if that surprise were inconsequential and spread a thin jacket over the dark forest floor. To lie down was harder than it looked to be, wasn't everything. A thick scent of pine needles, Sour smell of mildewed ash. The moon rose. Hi, Peg. Thanks for joining me today. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Galid. So how did you decide to write in the genre of short and very short stories? What interests you about flash fiction? What I love most is the compression that is uh that's required to to write in very, very short stories. I feel that compression alone already adds uh, a high level of um, dramatic tension. So it's, um, you know, and this is what we want, of course, in uh, fiction. We want to have dramatic tension. So right off the bat, we've got that. And um, I've always had a fascination, really, with uh, compression, with um, looking at how much can you leave out of a story and um, still have it work with, you know, without losing the reader. So, you know, for example, when I'm reading, I really appreciate when um, the author leaves a lot of space for me to engage in that story rather than um, sort of leading me along by the hand, so to speak. And, you know, I really experienced that as a kind of gift, being able to engage in that way. And so I like to do that same sort of thing with my writing. Mm. Did you start out with a longer story and then weed it out the extraneous words? Sometimes I do that. Sometimes it's... um you know, clear to me that uh, right right from the beginning, it's clear to me that it's going to be a very short story. So I'm not writing uh, longer and then cutting a lot away. But regardless of the length, when I begin something, I will take it through many revisions and I will, you know, continue to pare out everything that I feel is extraneous and try to leave as I said, those spaces for the reader to do the filling in and making those connections, and in that way, making the story their own. Mm-hmm. Well, will you explain compression from a literary perspective? Yes, I think it's you know really trying to cover, you know, perhaps in one sentence or even in a phrase, trying to um, or you know hopefully. Uh, achieving it, uh, you know, covering what might take um, a writer of a different um, uh, 
different interests, you know, several pages or um, perhaps even, uh, you know, um, well, you know, just I, I, let's just go with several pages. But, you know, you're really trying to cover a lot of territory in just within um, judicious uh, use of language and, and choice of, um, of image and metaphor. Mm-hmm. How did this book come together? Well, that's, that's such an interesting question. Um, because sometimes, you know, I'm not entirely sure after I, after I finished a book, uh, or a book manuscript, it's, it can be hard for me to trace the origins of how it all began. Um, in the case of this one, I had a shorter uh, chapbook of under 30 pages, and it was called Unknown Animals after um, taking the title of one of the stories in that chapbook, and that is also subsequently in this book. And after I finished that chapbook, um, I felt that there was still something uh, missing. It wasn't. It didn't feel quite finished to me. So I set it aside, and um, which is pretty much how how I work. I'll, I'll put a project away for a while, um, and I continued to write. After a while, I did realize um, after I'd written some more stories and some more of these hybrid pieces, then. I realized that I was actually expanding on that uh, chapbook. And it was, you know, a very um, exciting moment, too, because then I had the realization that actually some earlier work had um, had already had the seeds of this in it. So um, at that point, you know, I began to put put all of it together and it became a process then of sort of calling and selecting and determining which stories belong to the book and which really did not, which didn't uh, make it to its best effect. Um, as well as then, you know, writing some new things to round out what I thought the new collection then would be. Um. Do these stories have something in common then with some of your previous, any of your previous books or previous writing? So I do think that um, that that the stories in this book do have, um, you know, there is a commonality with with my work in the way that I think, you know, earlier work and work that I'm writing right now in the same way that we um, can see this with really most authors, you know, um, when you look closely enough, regardless of what the, the um, book may be, we can find, um, no matter how subtle, I think, we can find sort of an author's, let's just call them obsessions, but really, you know, interests. And um, I definitely would say that there is a commonality with my first book, uh, Show Her a Flower, a bird, a shadow, in that these two are very um, compressed and hybrid kinds of writing. So let's dig into the meat of the of the book now. Um, 
I was going to ask you if you had a favorite story, but I first want to tell you what mine was, okay. if I had to choose. I, I was just so moved by the story about the mother whose grown daughter severs their relationship. And it's interspersed with stories about amber, the tree resin, and oh. its historical meaning. It was one of several stories about mothers and daughters from right. both perspectives that you have a lot of mother and daughter stories. And this one just, I haven't stopped thinking about it. Can you, uh, thank can you. you. Yes, yeah, sure. So that's um, the story in ancient trade. And um, so what I was doing with that story was braiding together information, um, facts really about Amber and about the Amber trade and braiding it together with a story about a mother and daughter, a very you know complicated mother-daughter story. But for me, I mean, it's pretty difficult to say, you know, what what would be a favorite story? It's it's almost like asking a parent, what is your favorite child? Or, you know, who is your favorite child? And really, there's something about um, each story or each piece that um, you know, that is, that is really, um, important to me or that I really appreciate. What was any story particularly challenging or complex for you? Or did anything, any story make you tear your hair out? Oh, that's a really good question. You know, the story, um, let me see here. Let me see what I ended up calling it in the end because this was written over and revised over a number of years and I'm not even sure what, you know, I want to make sure I have the final title that that I went with. Uh, an well, Incident with us. the Brother. Yeah, An Incident with the Brother. Okay. Yes, that's the story. And I found mm-hmm. that, I found it really, uh, really difficult to... Um, make sure, I think what I was struggling with the most in that is, as I say, I really like to um, leave a lot of space for the reader to fill in. Um, And uh, this was one in which I struggled with, was I actually giving enough of these um, sort of stepping stones so that uh, the reader could... um, could do that filling in. And I think uh, working on that over time, it was a need for me to actually add more, add more in. And I really struggle with doing that. It's just something um, as a reader, when I'm reading and I'm, I'm getting too much of um, being uh, just led along, I'm, I'm really frustrated by that. And, you know, I just want to go in and just start editing and, you know, cutting all of this out. So there's a part in me that um, finds it really difficult to fill in all of this information. But in that particular story, I realized that there were places that I needed to do it. And so with filling it in, then, you know, I would have to go through several passes because then I would go back and need to take some of that out and um, that I'd added in and, you know, refine that language. So it went through a lot of that kind of um, process of adding in, uh, letting it rest for a while, coming back with a more objective eye, 
Um, and those places really stuck out for me because I, they needed, in my mind, more refinement of language, which necessitated taking some more out and then waiting once again and coming back and perhaps filling in a little bit more. And so on, almost like, you know, an accordion expanding, contracting, expanding, contracting until it seemed to have the right, um, I don't want to say balance, but the right flow with the new additions. Well, I was going to say, tell us then if it, you said a number of years, what are we talking here? When did you start this? That story probably um, began, I probably began writing that maybe even, what is this, 2019? I would say possibly eight years ago. Hmm. Is anything from the previous century? I'm sorry, what? Anything from prior to the 21st century. Oh, you mean, did I include any stories from, from before that you, then? Yeah, that you started back then. No, I don't think so. I don't okay. think there are any quite that old. Huh. So many of us can identify with this sentence. I, I took, I wrote little notes to myself of little... I, little things that I liked or was interested in talking about quote, she and I were always in opposition, barely managing to tamp down the conflict when others neared that interested me because let's discuss teenage daughters. Sure. Uh, well, you and I both have been one. So we know, we know it from that perspective, right? I think that, Again, I think that there is um, so much drama inherent in mother-daughter relationships, and I'm, I'm fascinated with them. Um, in this case, looking at the teenage daughter, well, this is definitely a time where, you know, there is a lot of dramatic tension. It's inherent on teenagers to go through this developmental stage of you know, separation and individuation from their parents. And, um, you know, that's, that's a difficult time in um, a teenager's life. And we, we, we can certainly think about it as um, very difficult for a parent. Um, and, and it is, you know, the parent is um, responsible um, for this child who's going, you know, is, is still a child and is going through, you know, this very difficult uh, time period. But I think it's very difficult, too, for, for the teenager um, who is trying and, and you know, the, the daughter who in particular has a lot of, um, that I'm familiar with because I happen to have been a daughter, I think it's very difficult in in our society to figure out how to go through this process. Uh, you no longer um, wish to be reliant on your mother or and father, both. Um, you um, are trying to create your own identity. And I think we often see, you know, um, uh, teenage girls saying, you know, I'm never going to be anything like my mother. I certainly thought that. I was like, I just, you know, I can't imagine being like her. I, did you go through that? 
I'm just so gleeful when my, I have two daughters who are well past it. And I'm gleeful when I see them doing something that I do or that I did that they swore they would never do. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. There's something about it that just, um, it's such a relief because, um, you know, uh, what, what a struggle that can be. And I was really trying to capture that in that story, just about how much, um, how much difficulty that particular character, um, uh, the mother character was hobbying in that relationship, but um, it is, it's just, it's such a difficult time. And some, you know, teenage girls really um, have to, I think, uh, really push very hard against the boundaries set for them by their mothers and fathers, because I think out of, out of a kind of fear, really, um, they want to believe that they're ready to be out there on their own, that they can handle themselves, they can take care of themselves. But I believe there's a lot of fear at the same time that they may be unwilling to admit even to themselves. You know, it's yeah. um, it's a big it's a big world out there, and there's um, there's a lot that can happen. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You also have stories about loneliness, about uh, leaving or being left, about divorce, several about divorce, about marital infidelity, about marriage, about dying, about abuse. What from which well did you dig up all of these stories? But that's a that's an interesting way of looking at it. You know, I, why do any of us choose really to write what we write? I'm not, you know, I'm not convinced that that any one of us may be able to say, well, it's because X, Y, Z. But I will say, you know, quite frankly, I don't think that uh, living happily ever after all makes for a good story. You know, I really can't even recall ever reading fiction, any fiction that's just about harmony and, uh, you know, and goodwill to all. Um, you know, there has to be conflict or, you know, dramatic tension, um, you know, to engage the reader. So I think characters struggling in their relationships, you know, whether it's about feeling very lonely, about leaving another character, um, uh, you know, a parent leaving through, um, death, which is something, you know, we all face mortality is something that, uh, is, you know, is part of what, um, we all have in common with, you know, our, our human experience. And, um, I think these are the kinds of, uh, things that do make for, uh, good writing topics because they're just inherently dramatic. And so right away that provides 
that kind of necessary engine to to drive the story. And I think too, I I guess you know I feel I'm just I'm somebody who just really wants to get in there and not avoid the um, <laughs> gritty topics. Yeah, these okay. are gritty. Yeah, what you know? What is it to be? What is it to be human? As we know that we're all facing the end. We we know this, and you know, I, I'm I'm interested in that, and I'm interested in um, um, the uh, the blessing and the curse of consciousness, if you will. I'm very interested in um, what it is to know that. Uh, we are, you know, facing our own extinction. So uh, I think a lot of my, my writing is really looking at that and what is the nature of consciousness. So there are uh, let's, almost 80 stories. 78. 78. And in each story is at least one person, sometimes two. So you have well over 100 people, 100 different characters, and they're all completely different. I'm wondering if you imagined diversity as almost like a character. That is such an interesting question. The short answer is no. And the longer answer is now that you've asked me that, I'm so intrigued by it that um, I'll be thinking about it for, for quite some time. And it's already engaged my imagination in such a way that I'm wondering what what that would be like to write diversity itself as a character. So thank you for that little gift. Mm, my <laughs> pleasure. Well, here are some other things that I pulled out of that, that struck me. The geography of place was very important. You named some of the places, but even if we didn't know the town, the place where they were it was in the house or it was in the forest or it was by a lake or something but we always knew the place can you talk about that well i think place is essential if we don't have any sense of of where a character is um operating from you know we don't it 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 makes it that much more difficult to um have a deeper understanding of a character. And this goes back to compression in a way. So, you know, even in very short stories, we need to see or feel the character in his or her own environment. What is that environment? Because environment, place has everything to do with how a character sees um, herself or himself um, how characters um, um, are motivated, how they behave, what they may feel the confines of, of a place may be, for example. So we're going to have very different stories if, if a story is placed, for example, um, in the forest, um, it's going to be very different than, say, if it's um, set on the, in, you know, the urban an urban street in San Francisco, for example, and we're going to understand something entirely different about the character and about the story. 
You're also very descriptive of the clothing that many of your characters were wearing, a clinging blouse, a red sweater, a lavender dress. What's your relationship with clothes? Well, that that is very funny because <laughs> my my um I I do think that clothing, you know, in stories and fiction is another one of these ways to um, do a lot of work, do a lot of the the work of fiction. And um, so I use it in that way. Um, And I'm, you know, very drawn to using color for, for the same reason. I think that it does a great deal of work. Um, You know, my own personal relationship with clothing is, um, you know, I find it as almost, what, a necessary evil or something. Uh, Maybe that's not quite the phrase, but um, I really don't like to have to spend time thinking about clothing. Um, I'm getting ready to uh, go out on book tour here, and I'm thinking I'll be in a variety of environments from Chicago to the Adirondacks in in October, and I'm, you know, and I live um, in a very warm climate in Northern California, and I'm trying to imagine, well, what what can I throw into this suitcase that, you know, I'll be comfortable and happy with, and it's sort of like, you know, I'd almost rather just have a uniform and be done with it. Might I suggest cute black dress, cute boots, um, earrings, necklace. Done. There. <laughs> That's a, that, there you go. That's great. <laughs> um, lots of interesting relationships between your characters. We already t- talked about some of them, but so many are about siblings. So I can't help but wonder. I found that siblings? I think that's so interesting. Um, I wasn't aware. And, you know, it seems to me that just in thinking about it, I, I can I can you know come up with several that were explicitly about siblings, like a pair of sisters, for example, and mm-hmm. Daffodils was a um, a brother and a sister. Um, uh, Goodbye Roller Coaster is three siblings, um, but I wouldn't have thought that there were that many stories about siblings and it's fascinating to think about it. But, you know, again, I think it goes to the idea of, I once read um, something about, I think it was written by perhaps a therapist and I might've seen it like in something as generic as psychology today or uh, something like that. And I guess maybe that maybe I shouldn't say is generic, but I'm I'm saying it was just sort of something that was a, kind of a basic um, psychology uh, uh, journal, and this the therapist that had written about it said that in the case of these siblings um, who were her clients, each of them had described their parents as if they were entirely different people. Mm-hmm. And their, their perceptions of, um, of their relationships to their parents, uh, just reading these, these descriptions, these sort of case studies, was 
you know, completely remarkable in that if you hadn't known that they were siblings, you would not have thought that they were raised in the same house, you know, just based on the relationships, not on details about um, living, other kinds of details. And, you know, that that fascinates me deeply. Um, And I think it goes again to that idea of how much um, dramatic tension and how much conflict is inherent in um, any kind of situation where you've got siblings. Um, and, you know, I don't know that we ever really think of it quite that, um, you know, to a, to a large extent or to quite that detail. But it does so happen that the, the book that I'm currently working on is about a, a brother and sister and a ghost, a ghost. Okay. <laughs> huh. um, is there any significance to the, the, the nine different sections in the book? Well, it's not so much the number nine. Um, there was significance to, I chose 78 stories deliberately since that is um, the number of cards in a tarot deck. And <gasps> Oh. I, I love little things like that. It's sort of the nerd in me. But um, as for the sections, it was really um, the number wasn't so much important to me as um, the structure. And so I'm sure what you saw that I what I did was to take the um, Hans Christian Andersen story, The Snow Queen, and I took lines from that, from that story, from that fairy tale, and used them to structure the sections. So each um, delineates a section. And in that way, I believe that they add another layer of complexity to the section itself, but then um, taken together, all of it put together, I think it adds like a um, more complexity to the book overall. It certainly is complex. And I, I, before we say goodbye, I wanted to also talk about my, the most powerful, my favorite one page story. Oh, so that is cavern obscura. Oh, thank you. It just hits you in the side when you don't even know what, what happened. It's really powerful. Thank you so much. Any background you want to share with that? Um, you know, uh, I'm not really sure what to say about that. I think, you know, um, it goes along with really my process in writing, which is I get up very, very early in the morning. I've trained myself to do this over a number of years. I used to write in the uh, evening, but um, after a time, I just felt like this is no longer working for me to, um, you know, I'm just, my mind is too full of all of the, the work that I've done all day. And it's very hard for me to, to, uh, get away from it. And, uh, you know, I often feel a bit, um, you know, I can feel a bit weary about some of the challenges of work, right? So I decided to train myself to write first thing in the morning. And so I do this, I get up very early and I often, um, wake up with the sounds of 
words, certain phrases, something is running through my mind and I immediately write that down and I let it take me, you know, where it's going to go. So mm-hmm. this is this is another one of those um, stories. Uh, actually, I even say that I believe. I think I I think I start. This is one of the few times that I actually even mirror the process in the story. And I think I say something about, um, you know, I'm like mirroring uh, the author's process and saying that the character woke with these words. Uh, running through her head. And I don't think I've ever done that before. I, you know, I have a pretty, um, um, I don't, you know, write myself as an author into, you know, specifically or deliberately into um, my work, but I did in that story. And so that, um, so that's how that happened. And, you know, it just took off from there. Um, you know, and that's really my process. I like to see what, you know, I really like the mystery of, well, what is going to happen here? What's, what am I going to find out on the page? Hmm. So, Peg, we know that you're working on a book about a brother, a sister, and a ghost. We're just going to have to wait till that comes out. But what, what else is going on? What's next for you? Well, that you know, that, that is it. Um, I do have some other, um, work in the drawer. I always have several things, um, going on and, you know, I move from one thing, um, to another so that, um, if I ever really get bogged down in something and, um, uh, I just find it, you know, for me personally, it's very important to me to, have a connection with my writing daily. And, you know, I realize I'm not saying this as if I think this is the way it has to be for anyone, but it is the way it is for me. I've learned at this point in my life, I really need that connection with my writing. And I like to have it first thing so that whatever else happens in the day, um, you know, I've got that. And um, so I'll just continue to work on um, the book, hopefully, um, it's in maybe it's fourth or fifth revision at this time. And so I'm, I'm hoping that I'm, you know, seeing, um, seeing the end uh, coming up soon. But in the meanwhile, as I say, when I get bogged down with something and I need to uh, put it away for a bit just to get some of that objective, um, you know, as much objectivity um, uh, that I can, a bit of distance from it, then I can work on something else. So there are a lot of other, other projects that are, that are happening. Okay. I'll look forward to, to hearing about them when they come up. Thank you so much, Peg. It's been lovely talking to you today. Thank you so much, Galit. It's been a real pleasure. And thank you for joining me. Again, this is G.P. Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host of New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today I've been talking with Peg Alfred Purcell, author of A Girl Goes Into the Forest. If you enjoyed today's podcast and would like to discuss it further with me and other New Book Network listeners, please join us on Shuffle. Shuffle is an ad-free, invite-only network focused on the creativity community. As New Book Network listeners... 
you can get special access to conversations with a dynamic community of writers and literary enthusiasts. Sign up by going to www.shuffle.do forward slash nbn forward slash join.